Just did breaking news. No more bullshit. No more bullshit. No bullshit. Hey, yo. Can't sleep? Watch the news. Want some news? You got it right here. The no bullshit news hour. Next week's news today. Live downtown at the American Coney Island. Go to AmericanConeyIsland.com. Get a Coney kit sent to your doorstep, your friends, your loved ones, anywhere in the continental United States. Does that include Alaska, Karen? Ask Donald Trump. Continental United States and Hawaii. And Puerto um, Rico. What's that? And Puerto Rico? I don't know. I don't know if that's, I don't know. It's a good question. I'll find out. Okay. Anyway, American Coney Island is open again. 11 to 3 every day except Sunday and closed Memorial Day. Also brought to you by ADR Construction. If you're getting your company up and running again, you call ADR. Their clients are working. They have permits issued, visual inspections conducted, work crews are out there safely in full compliance with Whitmer's orders. Employees are getting paid. Things are getting built. Don't lay down and die. Get things done legally and with full respect for the emergency measures, ADR Consultants, 248-318-9424. Get the job done right on time, on budget, and right now. Call Barry Ellen Tuck, 248-318-9424. Honest, ethical, smart, ADR Consultants. On today's show, really special guest, I'm happy to have him on. New York Times and Albany Bureau Chief Jesse McKinley joins us. We're going to compare the COVID response between the governors of New York and Michigan both states were savaged by the virus. Their nursing homes were savaged by the virus. And both governors are mentioned as possible running mates of Joe Biden. Also joining us later is an inspector of Michigan's nursing homes who gives us a terrifying and shameful description of what really happens to our elderly behind the closed doors. But first, there's breaking news. Karen, what's the breaking news? The breaking news is that Kwame Kilpatrick uh, is set for release. That is the breaking news. The headline is Kilpatrick's granted an early release from prison, according to a report from the Ebony Foundation that has been working tirelessly to get Kilpatrick out of prison, either commutation, a pardon, early release. Not sure what this means, but uh, joining us is state representative from Detroit, uh, Sherry Gay Zanyogo, who's also been working feverishly to get uh, the former mayor released from prison. Are you with us, Sherry? Yes, I'm here, Charlie. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Wonderful. How are you? Hey, Karen. I'm- hey, Sherry. Look, Sherry, here's the thing. I know every reporter in town is listening to this because they're all calling us here on the No Bullshit uh-huh. News Hour because we don't bullshit what uh-huh. do we know? Is Kilpatrick being released from prison? Well, well, uh, Kwame Kilpatrick is a part of a continuum of Detroiters who have served in the House and the legislature from the Detroit caucus, and as a matter of fact, uh, Detroit caucus chair. But I just have to, before we talk about Kwame Kilpatrick, I have to give uh, respect and honor uh, to our fallen member, Senator Morris Hood III, 
whose services are being conducted right now in my district at James H. Cole Funeral Home, sending condolences to his family, all who know him, his constituents, and just those who are listening who knew Morris, just to send up a prayer for his family um, as he joins 1,200-plus members who have fallen from COVID uh, in the city of Detroit. And if I'm public servant, let's take it just a second. Now, Sherry, what do you know? What's up with Kwame well, Kilpatrick? Yeah, you hand-delivered so, a letter to the President of the United States asking for his release. What do you know? So, so right now, uh, Charlie, I don't have confirmed uh, any of the reports that I've seen swirling and text to me throughout early this morning. Uh, none of that is confirmed. Uh, I, do, I am aware of the Ebony Foundation. I've communicated with the, the leadership of the Ebony Foundation. They've attended a, a breakfast that we held with um, an African-American leader from the White House uh, down at Greektown. Um, and so we've been in communication, but I cannot confirm um, uh, anything as it relates to the early release. We know that the prison where he was held um, or is held, uh, had about nine people to pass from COVID. Um, subsequent to the letter being delivered uh, to the White House, I sent a follow-up letter asking for a compassionate release uh, to deal with and address the, the fact that the, the prisons were, um, you know, seeing a number of increases of cases with respect to COVID. Um, right, right, that right. letter, you know, through a... Uh, a uh, local leader who uh, works on the other side of the aisle and got that letter in as well and, and was waiting back to hear. I have not heard anything formally. Okay. Except, you know, so let's do this. And look, no, no, no pontification here. Let's just get it clear because people want to know. The, the latest ask of the federal government was to release him on humanitarian grounds as per the, the federal directive, let him out uh, for COVID issues, correct? That was a okay. Now, here's what we do know. Karen, you talked to the foundation this morning. They're the ones that put out the report. What did you learn? Well, that uh, he is scheduled for release uh, June 10th, and uh, he'll be on home confinement. That's all I've heard. Home confinement related to COVID? Because of COVID. Um, not that he has it, but like Sherry said, you know, there's his where he's staying has been ravaged. Uh, by COVID. And so it is a compassionate release. People that meet certain criteria are being released as a result. So, you know, that's all I know. I mean, like I said, the people in the media have been calling all day. Uh, they are looking for something from the Department of Justice, understandably. You just have to wait for that if that confirms this for them. Okay. And this is what I have uh, for you and all the listeners. Uh, I reached out to the White House, right? People, you know, if you listen to this show, we have people sitting next to the president. Uh, there's no knowledge of any clemency. There's no knowledge of any commutation of this sentence. Uh, I talked to Pete Carmanos, you know, Pete uh, hired Kwame Kilpatrick after all of his legal troubles. He's been advocating. He's the one that got the letter to the White House. He agrees with you. The word is uh, they've been releasing a lot of people from the prison that Kwame Kilpatrick sent for the COVID reason. And that's what the reason would be. I talked to the FBI, a couple of members of the FBI. They've not even been made aware of uh, his potential being released for COVID, which are federal guidelines. So if it is June 10th, Karen, 
then I expect they're going to get that call next week. But there would be no commutation. There would be no uh, pardon without, you know, a review of the local agents and prosecutors that have to do with him. So at this point, what I know is just at this point, I don't jump out there. I don't say this is what's happening. I This is no bullshit news. Those are the calls we made. As of today, nobody's aware of any commutation, pardon. Potentially, he's going to be released for the COVID reasons. And we all agree that those are the facts that we know. Yes, Sherry. Yes, Karen. That's it. Right That's now. it. That's it. And, and I just got to give a shout out to locally to Judge Linda Parker for doing the same thing locally for a number of prisoners who are being detained or who are being considered for release for compassionate release. No one should be sentenced to a death sentence. Uh, when they're locked in prisons that have escalating cases of COVID. Absolutely not. You're right. Absolutely not. And then again, unlike federal protocol, I wish our people here would test the people you're letting out of the can before you put them on the street and on the buses. Because we got Jesse McKinley from uh, the New York Times is here. Detroit City got racked as hard per capita as New York City, as Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And that's got, they're 22 times more crowded than us. There's no fucking excuse for what happened here. Sherry, I know you want to get to the funeral. I will let you go. And I really appreciate you coming on the show exclusively. I know you've been dodging the press too. So they can quote the no bullshit news hour. This is what. Dodging. Are you, I wasn't dodging. I was just, you know, I don't, I don't like to talk about something that I don't have finalized confirmation on. Okay. Um, are you running for mayor? I'm strongly considering it. Well, that's a little news. Okay. We'll talk to you. How's your hole? I, how's, it's filled. <laughs> it's, we filled it up. Oh, we filled it up. <laughs> <laughs> and you had to pay for it. You had to pay to fill your own hole. Yes. Isn't that terrible? This town, man, I'm telling you. All right, we'll let you go. Thank you again, Sherry. Thank you. You all stay safe. All right. Hey, Jesse. Jesse McKinley, New York Times. How you doing, brother? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm really good, man. That looks like uh, like you're in the woods. <laughs> I'm just in the backyard. Like in it's, a beautiful. it's beautiful here in Albany. You hate it. No, <laughs> it's beautiful here. Dude, if, if there's one state legislature, legislature that's more corrupt than Michigan's, it's definitely New York's. Not anymore. We haven't had an indictment up here in like, I don't know, two or three years. It's been, a, <laughs> it's been like a, a, a winning streak. At one point, the Speaker of the House yep. and the Senate Majority Leader yep. both were, were convicted. Within the span of like three or four weeks, 2015. So, but hey, that was five, almost five years ago. So, it's better to see that. That's this is, this is universal, man. This is universal. <laughs> we need a new way. Okay, let me look, man. I, I tried it last week and I liked it. I'm I'm gonna do my my rant here. Okay, I'm gonna give the monologue to set up what we're doing. You mind? Rant away. Okay. More than anything. This pandemic has fully, finally thrown back the curtain on the idea that so many folk, that so many of the folks in charge know what they're doing. 
Those aren't my words. They belong to former President Barack Obama, who said them last week in a virtual commencement address for historically black colleges. Obama went on. A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. A lot of people took his words to be a shovel to the head of President Trump and his mishandling of the United States coronavirus outbreak. But I thought he was talking about Michigan and you can't blame me. It seems like we're in a virtual banana republic here in the Great Lakes state where dams are collapsing, bodies are piling up, all aided and abetted by a political class that is driven more by self-interest than the interest in the rest of us. Think about poor Midland County, underwater and failed by the state. For 20 years, federal regulators fought the private owner of the dam to make repairs since it posed a looming danger to the public. Getting no action, the Fed stripped the company's permit to generate hydroelectricity in 2018, in September of 2018, late September of 2018, as punishment. Oversight then went to the state, and the state did nothing, worried more about freshwater mussels in the man-made lake behind that dam rather than the people downstream of it. One heavy rain, and now we have a catastrophe. Not a natural catastrophe, Madam Governor, a man-made catastrophe. There's plenty of bipartisan blame to go around on this one. By my count, the dam debacle spans four gubernatorial administrations in Michigan, two Republican and two Democrat. So now here we sit, hat in hand, waiting for a federal government to fix our negligence. A federal government, it should be pointed out, that has no money. As the dam fiasco was unfolding, Governor Whitmer quietly released her nursing home redo after business hours. Her original emergency order allowed nursing homes to take in COVID-19 patients. There's big money in nursing homes for that. Five grand a patient. Predictably, the results have been devastating. Nursing home deaths in the metro region alone account for nearly one third of all COVID deaths statewide and the state is yet to collect the true data. Whitmer's new order requires facilities to take in COVID-19 patients only if there's a dedicated wing for those virus carriers within those nursing homes. But what's that entail? Who's checking? The dam inspectors? Why trust the state or nursing homes at all? Because according to a national study, Michigan ranked second worst in the country for elder abuse in the nursing homes. And we've just seen the horrifying proof of that on social media. A man beating bedridden elderly patients bloody. Furthermore, why is one of the worst ranked nursing homes in America allowed to be a state sanctioned COVID care facility in Michigan at all? That's true. Does anybody in Lansing know what they're doing? Now, Mike Duggan, the mayor of Detroit, likes to tell the national news outlets about his fantastic response to the pandemic. He bases his success on the fact he was among the first in America to obtain 15-minute testing kits. As terrific as that sounds, Detroit still suffered one of the highest COVID death rates of any United States city. And now it comes to light that those quick tests may be inaccurate nearly 50% of the time, according to one study, which would make them 100% useless, no better than a coin toss. His honor's response, he doesn't believe it. But isn't that what Trump said? 
The Wayne County Jail has been exposed as an incubator of pestilence. Last month, its top doctor died of the virus. And a week later, the sheriff still had no clue. Did he panic? Hardly. The sheriff simply continued to release inmates untested back into society. No politician or bureaucrat protested. Like the Midland Dam, the Wayne County Jail has never, ever passed a safety inspection, in this case for health, even though it's been under court supervision for nearly four decades, four decades. Does anybody know what they're doing now? DMC Sinai Grace Hospital has proved to be little better. Remember, we had the nurses on and the responders on. The now famous photographs of bodies stacked up in a sleep study room, sleeping the eternal sleep, removed any doubt about the lack of staff and equipment there. So what happens to the former chief administrative officer of that hospital? Get ready for this. He just landed a new job as the deputy mayor of Detroit. His mandate, kid you not, to lead the city's COVID response. Seriously. And well, why not? Because Conrad Mallett has the experience. He served as chairman of Duggan's first campaign for mayor after all. What a bunch of hacks. Mallett's predecessor as deputy mayor, James E. Craig, also moonlights as the chief of police. When Mallett's appointment was announced last week, Craig was quick to tweet out that he's still the deputy mayor of public safety. Essentially, such an arrangement makes the chief of police the deputy mayor of himself. They don't even do that in Cuba. Crime has dropped worldwide due to the coronavirus lockdown, but not here. Murder and shootings on the streets of Detroit have surged 30%. Despite Whitmer's clampdown on barbershops and block parties, this week, a three-year-old and a four-year-old. There's the matter of unemployment websites that still don't function for thousands and thousands here. Millions who are unemployed, a balky power grid, and crumbling roads. I think Obama was right. Leadership does not know what it's doing. And in Michigan, it doesn't seem to give a damn. Pun intended. Pun intended. Jesse. Yes, sir. Walk us through the response to the pandemic in New York State, specifically the nursing homes, what Governor Cuomo did there, because we basically copied what what you did, what uh, he did there. Our governor likes to copy. And the questions you using during all of this, go, go ahead. What did you do in New York, which we all tune in every night to watch? Well, you know, they, I think a lot of governors were kind of looking to other governors at this point because it was so un- unprecedented, you know, what was going on. And just the, the scope of what was happening here in New York State, you know, there's, there's almost uh, 350,000 confirmed cases, I think was the last number. I mean, it's just, it, it dwarfs a lot of countries in, in a whole, right, just in the state. And of course, in New York City, which is incredibly dense and has a huge public transportation 
immune system, you know, the infection spread like wildfire. And one of the issues that has come to light in the last, you know, month or so is this policy, which you mentioned, which sounds very similar in Michigan as it was in New York, which was to basically command nursing homes to take back COVID-19 patients. And, you know, in their defense, their argument and their fear was when this memo came down on March 25th, basically they were terrified that they were going to run out of hospital beds, you know, that they thought that they were, you know, at one point the governor uh, estimated that they were going to need 140,000 hospital beds, which is just mind blowing considering the state only has about 50,000 uh, in whole while having, you know, 20 million people and having probably the one of the best regarded medical health systems in the, in the world in New York City. So I think they were terrified that they were going to run out of beds. And so one thought there was, okay, well, if we can stabilize the COVID-19 nursing home patients, we can send them back, we can open up some beds in the hospitals, and then when this big wave of patients uh, comes, then we'll have a place to treat them. But, uh, you know, a few things happened. One was that it seems as, as though that the virus got loose in the nursing homes as, as it had in Seattle and other places and really, um, really had its way with, you know, I think we've got almost 6,000 dead residents from nursing homes now in the state. So just an enormous human catastrophe. Um, and the governor's been criticized for that policy. Um, and he stuck with it for quite a while until, I guess, about 10 days ago now, they reversed themselves and said, look, yeah, the, the patients can't test positive and then go back into the homes. But for a lot of people who've, who've criticized him, the damage was already done. So, so wait, so what, are the, what happens now? We go back to the damage being done. So 10 days ago, he reversed course. And what does New York now require? It now Since the pandemic is passed and we know the hospitals are not going to be surged. Yeah, well, now they require the nursing home patients to uh, to be test negative for, for COVID-19 before being put back into the home. Keep in mind, too, I, I think that some of this well-meaning policy... Uh, that was basically that, you know, if, if you, if you're a resident of a nursing home and you get sick and you have to go to the hospital, you shouldn't lose your home. You know, you shouldn't lose your bed uh, because you had to go to the hospital. The, the nursing home shouldn't be able to give someone else your room. So in some of these cases, the people got sick, they went to the hospital, hopefully they recovered, and then they were sent back into the nursing home, which once again may have seemed logical or well-meaning at the time, but also opened the nursing homes and the governor and, and to, to charges that they were basically putting tinder into, into tall grass. You know what I mean? That, that these are yeah. the, most, the most vulnerable people. These are people that we've seen again and again and again have borne just an inordinate cost and just a, hu a huge human tragedy. Um, and it, it the, the, the policy hit a lot of people just from the outside the wrong way, that it, it, that it just didn't seem to make a lot of sense. So Do it kills people. So they well, reversed it. Okay, our, our testing is required, right, of the workers in these nursing homes, right? Nursing, nursing the residents, the staff, everybody, you know. And we, we don't have that. Yeah, well, that's that is a, that's a big problem, and New York has been really aggressive about getting testing up to speed. You know, they they pursued the feds really early on and said, "Look, we got to we got to be able to do our own tests. We can't." You know, I remember covering this in late February when you know there were just a few cases here and there, 
And, you know, health officials were literally FedExing samples to the CDC in Atlanta to get results back. And that would take, you know, two, three, four, five days. Uh, by the time they got to Atlanta, the CDC tested them, they got the result back to them. And so, you know, and I, I think the thing we've seen again and again and again with this crisis is time is just such of the essence, you know, that every day, um, meant something, that it meant more and more people getting sick and more and more people dying and the, and the disease spreading further and further. So, Were you going to say something, Karen? And I get your cup to your face. No, I'm thinking. I, I just, you know, in terms of the whole disposable approach that we, I can only assume as Americans, have taken with our elderly. I mean, and, it, and it's, it's, it's consistent. It's like, are they disposable? Do they not matter? Did Governor Cuomo just consider them off the map and that nobody would notice? Same thing here. I mean, it hasn't been a part of the overall strategy or the plan. Yeah, I, I don't think you could say that about Cuomo. I don't think, and, and you know, God forbid that anyone thinks that our, our elderly are disposable. You know, it's, I, I think it really did just catch them a little bit by surprise how deadly it could how be. Could it, how could it fucking do that? How could that be? You know, now that we look, it's the elderly that died, right? And where do the elderly live? In nursing homes. So we had Cobo Hall and Mall Suburban Collection. You had the Javits Center. Did, did they send the elderly there to convalesce or did they send them back? Was the Javits Center ever full with elderly? The Javits Center was never full at all. I mean, I think they built the the core the core built out you know twenty five hundred beds. I think there. I think the top occupancy they ever had was about four hundred five hundred, as I recall. Uh, but no, I mean, it was not used as a place to kind of safeguard people in, in that way at all. So they had this problem, and you said that uh, Governor Cuomo so what were they for? Cuomo adjusted uh, to it, and then we copycatted it. And from where we sit, watching Cuomo on the television, how did he become the guy for New York? Was there a void there? Uh, was it just because he's charismatic in these press conferences, or is he actually getting stuff done in people's opinions? I mean, I think it was a combination of a man, a moment, and a location. You know, keep in mind, once again, New York was really the epicenter, the national epicenter of this thing. Um, and so, it, you know, people wanted to know what was going on in New York. And keep in mind, too, that the messaging coming out of D.C. was not always very consistent, you know. And there was, there was confused talk from the, the president where he would contradict his health officials. And, you know, Cuomo is good at details. Like that is his thing. He's a kind of a nuts and bolts micromanager. I think for some of his staff, it drives him crazy that he is that kind of guy. But it, it, for a situation where you really wanted to know the facts and you really wanted a guy to say, okay, here's how many cases we have. Here's what we're going to do. And not to have, you know, kind of, you know, confused mixed messaging. Uh, I think it's something that people really glommed onto. And also he's been like, it, it was funny. He had a press conference today where he said, you know, this is all about stamina. And I, you ain't kidding. I mean, he's done a press conference every day, I think, for 83 days. And just kind of looking at it historically, I mean, there is no no political figure that I can think of that has ever had kind of a national you know, platform, a daily press conference, not a president, you know, he's not a president, he's a, he's a governor, but, but lo and behold, for two and a half months, almost three months now, 
he has held forth and, and often held forth on facts and, and good data and stuff like that, but also just holding forth on personal opinions and political opinions and the way he thinks. And he's a true, he's a true teller. Yeah, he's a true teller. I mean, he's not caught in any lies. He speaks extemporaneously. It's not up of a script. Yeah. And the, the guy does have command of facts and details because this is his, what, third term yeah, as governor? Yeah, this is He's experienced. Mind. Yeah. And keep in mind, Charlie, too, I mean, you know, from covering New York politics back in the day, like his dad was governor, too. So this is a guy who has been in Albany in the corridors of power uh, in one way or another for 40 years, and he's 62, right? So that's most of his adult life. He's watched Albany work and often been on the front lines of helping it work, you know? So he, he knows government. He gets government. Here's, um, where, here's where I admire him, dude. Here's where I admire him. And I know, because I watched those, and I heard you, and, you know, I miss you, man. Um, <laughs> uh, the guy made a cataclysmic public policy decision based on what the experts told them on these nursing homes, right? When it comes to light, how devastating that was with a very rabid media keeping track of, of, of deaths, he admitted it and he changed course immediately. No half measures, no bullshit. It didn't work. We were wrong. And, and we, we move along. What I'm getting here, and I'm nonpartisan, as you know, I'm getting... We just had a redo late Wednesday night. So remember, let's do some dates. He, uh, Cuomo issues the order about the nursing homes March 25th. Whitmer issues the same exact orders April 17th, hmm. early May, first week of May, Cuomo reverses course. Two days ago, we get a half measure where we still don't have data. We still don't have people having to stay in the hospital till they test negative, no increased inspections on these nursing homes, no requirement for PPE. I know that the, the governor in New York distributed 10 million pieces of PPE to these private companies because it was a public emergency. That's the difference. Yeah, and I also, uh, you know Michigan politics a lot, a lot, a lot better than I do, obviously. But Well, you better get used to it. <laughs> but I would also say that, you know, because New York really was the epicenter and the real front lines, a lot of resources ended up in New York. You know, um, Cuomo complimented Trump and said, look, Trump got us the ventilators. Trump got us the, the, the hospital ship. And, and those are not those are demonstrable facts. You know, that, that federal help did flow into New York. And and in the end, Cuomo overestimated how much help they were going to need. But but you know they had the boat, they had the beds, they had the, the Army Corps of Engineers coming in and you know building temporary hospitals in the span of like two, three, four days, which is pretty darn impressive. You know, it's it's it is it's that, it is. that's a lot that shows you what the federal government can do when they really get engaged in a problem. As a difference, you know, during our emergency, when when Wimmer becomes a national doll and Trump bites, when, when Trump bites, then all of a sudden you have a platform because it's anybody but Trump. That's what this is all about, in my opinion. But our governor's complaining that we didn't get the help that New York got. But our governor and her staff inexperienced people forgot to file the paperwork with FEMA to get such stuff before you open your mouth on the late night shows. That's a difference between somebody three terms in the seat who knows what's going on and somebody that's 
Yeah, and keep in mind too that this guy, you know, Cuomo was he was HUD secretary in in the nineties under Clinton. So he knows right. he not only knows he gets state government right, so he knows like okay, where do we get the trucks and where do we get the you know PPE and where do we get the tests? And he knows where all that stuff is in the kind of gigantic bureaucracy that is the state government. But then he also had federal experience too, right? So he know he, mm-hmm. and part of HUD's you know mandate is is disaster relief. You know, it's 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 going and rebuilding housing when housing has been destroyed, and and so he kind of got that. That's why I say that it's I think his prominence during this has been you know, a happy accident for him because he really, he kind of been training for this moment his whole life, you know, and, and getting pretty good reviews as a result. Well, well Charlie, let me ask you this, how much forgiveness based on what Jesse said, um, you know, in terms of Cuomo's presentation driven by his experience of a pass, do you give, or should you give, or anybody give Whitmer because this is her first term? Is that, is that justifiable or no? I mean, do, does that well, speak? we put in place um if you don't know do you surround yourself with the people that do do the people that you represent suffer because you're learning this is on the job training the brain trust is not there i I don't see it i don't think any of us see it and jesse's right new york's the epicenter as is boston and new jersey and in a, a very compact very populated area we're a frigid peninsula I don't understand how this happened. Jesse, do you think New York benefited because that's uh, where Trump's from? That's a great question. Um, did it benefit because it's where Trump's from? I, I, not this, I don't think that was what benefited from. I think it's because Cuomo, once again, knows Trump. Like, these guys go back 25 years. They've known each other. They've, you know, they, I think at one point, like, Trump sent a, a like, a, a video for uh, Cuomo's bachelor party at one point. I mean, like these guys knew each other from the kind of mean streets of Manhattan and Queens where they both grew up. Right. And so there was enough kind of rapport there, just kind of natural rapport that once they got behind closed doors and were talking on the phone or doing X, Y, and Z, like there was enough kind of, you know, they're like, okay, let's cut the, let's cut the crap and let's get some stuff done. And I think that that, behooved New York a great deal because there was that relationship before. And I, I don't think that Trump had that relationship with with Governor Whitmer. You think that her gender plays any role in this? I mean, I, do, I, I you know, kind of feel like Trump has some uh, sexist ways about him. Uh, do you believe that had uh, Governor Whitmer been a male, that perhaps his response uh, to her or his level of respect for her would have been different? That's eh, kind of beyond my pay grade, <laughs> you know. I, I don't. I, I don't. I, I, I don't know the president, and I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know. I can't really answer that one. So, um, because Cuomo star. Thanks, dude. That's there. You go. There you go. <laughs> Cuomo's. Uh, you said his star's kind of risen nationally, and because it's a. Uh, uh, you know, campaign election year, presidential. There's been a lot of chatter that he could replace Biden or he could be the vice presidential candidate. In covering him, is that something he would want to do? And do you think that's even plausible? Either- I, don't think he, I don't think he would want to be vice president. I, once again, I'm sort of kind of repeat myself, but he likes his job. Like he likes being governor of the state of New York. I do think that on some level, 
you know, there's history here too. You know, his dad was mentioned as a possible Democratic presidential candidate. He famously like waited until the last minute, had a plane like ready to go from Albany to New Hampshire and declare himself uh, back in the 90s and he never did it. So I think there's always in the Cuomo mind something like, well, maybe I should try where my father did not, you know? And, and I think certainly kind of wishful thinking by a lot of Democrats considering how well he has been received has been that, you know, I, I can't see him really, you know, knocking Biden off the ticket. Those two guys also get along. But, you know, keep in mind, Cole is a pretty young guy. He's 62, which is, you know, it's a spring chicken by American political standards. So, you know, he, in four years, in 2024, depending on whether you know, President Trump is reelected or if Biden is elected and decides only to serve one term because of his age or just because he doesn't want to do it again. You know, you could certainly see a, a Cuomo 2024 campaign. That would not surprise me in the least. Well, and impos- look, man, this is really what this is about. Biden, he looks infirm to me. He looks infirm to a lot of people. You, Who knows if he, if one, if he gets elected, but two, if he makes it through four years. So it, first time in a very long time, the vice president candidate really mattered. And you have, you know, I know the parties run this country, they're, they're corporations, but it matters if the vice president has, has the resume. You know, this is, this is not jumping from one learning on the job um, into the next one. So the word I get, however, since it's, it's really going to be important is, I don't think the Biden can't wants anybody with COVID stink on him. You understand what I mean? Like anything response, any of this stuff, nursing homes that the Republicans could seize on. So maybe, maybe it is Harris. I'm hearing increasingly, you know, uh, Klobuchar. Yeah. What about you? Are you, are you? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm probably reading the same stuff you are. You know, I'm hearing that Klobuchar got, um, okay. got vetted, I'm, basically. Shit, I'm talking to people. I'm sorry, what? It's my internet connection. I'm not reading stuff. I'm talking to people, you know what I mean? Yeah, so I, I try to do some reporting, and I know you do. Yeah, I have not. I, you know, I think that he's committed, Biden's certainly committed to having a woman on the ticket. And I think the names that you hear again and again are Kamala Harris and Koblikar and, and Governor Whitmer. I think for Koblikar and Whitmer, the calculation is probably electoral to an extent as well, you know, that those are two states that they would, the Democrats really need to win in order to get to, get to 270. Uh, they both, you know, they both do have resumes. They, you know, they both come from the Midwest. So, you know, there's there's a, appealing attributes to that. I think Harris is, is an enormously winning character out of California, but I don't know if the Democrats want to pick up someone from California when they when they're going to win that state anyway. So, but once again, that's, you know, that's, I'm sure these calculations are being discussed day in, day out as we get, you know, what, wow. six months out now. So. All right. Well, look, man, let me, let me leave it at that because my internet sucks. Um, thank you, bro. I'm going to, you are now our Albany Bureau Chief for the No Bullshit News <laughs> Hour. Will you commit to that? <laughs> Anytime, man. Anytime. Yeah, we got correspondence everywhere. I'm going to send you a Coney kit, right, from American Coney Island. Dozen dogs, all the fixings, all right? So text me that uh, that deer stand that you're living in, and uh, <laughs> I'll get him to you, all right? All right. Thanks, Charlie. I love you, brother. Thank I'll you. Talk to you, man. I'll talk to you.
Charlie, can you reiterate that uh, Jesse was from the New York Times? I mean, people are asking because they tuned in late who he was uh, and where he is. They kept asking, where is he? I guess they liked the, the shot or wondered if he was in a barn. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm fucking responsible for people being late. Yeah, okay, Jesse. Okay, real quick. Give us your resume. Where Go, go ahead. Lay it out, Jesse. I am the Albany Bureau Chief for the New York Times, and I'm currently reporting from my backyard. Um uh, Albany, New York. I'm fighting a little cold, so I was trying to get some fresh air. Uh, thank uh, Jesse, also, you, did you used to be the theater critic there? You were a theater critic, weren't you? I was a theater columnist, and I covered Broadway, and then I was San Francisco bureau chief when you were out in L.A., so, you know, I've been around a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and you, you remember the old nickname I had for you, brother? We, we, were, we were Cubs reporters there. Um, the, you know... Central Park dog stories. Oh, uh, that's right. Dog park stories. And what'd and you I call me? La Fluff. You know that. <laughs> La Fluff. Why? I don't Why? know. Because it rhymed. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and your brother was, uh, uh, what, the East Africa Bureau Chief? He covered the Civil War, the, the yep. Tutsi and the Hutu, right? Fall of, fall of Congo. He covered i believe he was there he was there for the nairobi bombing in 89 or 89 no 98 um and now he's he's on the metro desk as an editor and your brother and sister also worked at the new york times it's a it's it has been a it's been a steady day job for all four mckinley kids and the mckinley patriarch your dad god rest him he was a renowned writer did he not was it Sirhan Sirhan he interviewed for Playboy? He interviewed uh, James Earl Ray. Uh, Martin James Luther Earl King, Ray. Uh, assassin. And I think he did talk to Sirhan Sirhan. He wrote a lot about, he wrote a whole book on assassinations. But once in a while, we'd get a collect call from a federal penitentiary. And it would be someone who didn't, had done something really terrible. And I'd pick it up and I'd go, oh, hi, okay, I'll, I'll get my dad. So, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he once sneak in? Didn't he dress up as a... I think Orderly that, or something? I think that James Earl Ray interview they may have played around with their affiliations a little bit, but I I, I don't want to get him in trouble. God rest his soul. So. No, he's 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 gone. But so let's keep it. He <laughs> dressed up as an employee of the prison and got in there to get that interview. Did he not? No, I think he I think he I think he may have uh, pretended to be a lawyer for the ACLU or something like that, but that may be apocryphal. So I'm not totally sure. That may have been just something he told to impress people. So <laughs> yeah, fuck it. Then we repeat it. No, it's the no bullshit news that one, man. All right, man. How's your how, How's your boy? He's great. Fifteen. Huge. Wow. 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 Tell, tell, how, how tall is Claudette now? Is my question. She must be. She thirteen, dude. Thirteen. Yeah, and now she sits on the toilet with her devices, just like pops. Keep <laughs> <laughs> off the old block. I'm sorry, Claudette. Well, be watching on, this. on that note. All right, man. Thanks, right, Jess. Of course, guys. Talk to you Take care, bye-bye. All right. Hey, hey, are we getting uh, – we got Johnny the inspector on? I'll call him up now, yep. <clears throat> okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you a word from our sponsors and then talk to Karen for a minute. Uh, no Bullshit News Hour brought to you by Luke Nowacki at Pinnacle Wealth. Remember, overreaction is not a strategy for the long-term investor. Luke Nowacki at Pinnacle Wealth, 248-663-4748, will give you rational financial advice. Look at the markets, the Federal Reserve, 
coronavirus. What does it mean? We're opening up again. Where are the opportunities? Do you act rationally? Do you cower? Do you save for a rainy day? Is it stocks? Is it bonds? Is it cash? Call Luke Nowacki at Pinnacle Well, 248-663-4748. Get advice, get a strategy, and position you and your investments, your retirement accounts, your college savings plans for the long term. Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through Royal Land Sources, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC, Royal Science, shit. Associates Inc. is separately owned and other entities and our marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal and it. Listen, folks, if you'd like to get on the no bullshit news hour and you'd like to read this bottom part right here, that Luke Nowacki part, all you got to do is direct message me. I think we got a, an email account at nobullshitnewshour.com. If you want to read that, here, look, right there, take a screenshot. If you want to read that, read it and send it into me. Make it fun. Make it a jingle, right? If one of you professionals out there is homebound and you want to do me a favor, that one. You can make it a song, Charlie. Go ahead, Karen. No, not me. I'm saying somebody can make it a song. <laughs> Your son. I got to sing or rap or anything he's, like he's that. He's a producer. They fun with that. Yeah, but they could, they could, they could have fun with that. David Hall and Hall Financial care about the community. That's why the team at Hall Financial is working from home around the clock to help people save money by refinancing. It's a great time to look at your options. That's why many people are refinancing right now. How many do you know? I know a ton. If you haven't refinanced in the last year, Hall Financial is here to help. Now's the time to lower your monthly payments, keep some extra money in your pocket as we go through these turbulent times. By refinancing, you can probably skip a payment or two. So why not see if you can save some money, cut down your term, and cut down your weekly note. If you're worried about coronavirus, don't. Homes can be appraised without someone stepping foot inside. Appraisers can do drive-by appraisals, really. Hall Financial Services are the fastest in the business. That's why they have 1,500 five-star reviews from Michigan homeowners. Go to the webpage and click on the logo to get started or call. Write it down, folks. Two four eight three zero eight five thousand. Hall Financial. Lower payments, better options, more personal attention. NMLS one four six seven four three five. This is the time to do it, Charlie. This this is a reconfiguration, socially, financially, everything. I mean, talk it. I mean, really. I mean, it's an epic, is it not, Karen? It is. And it changes every day. I mean, you know, it's so crazy because everybody's so looking forward to 2020 and blah, blah, blah. 2020 has been very, very strange thus far, but it's also an opportunity to stabilize, uh, to reconfigure who you are and how you're doing it. I just think, you know, you have to, you have to see the opportunity in these challenges and, you know, financially is probably the core of that in, in all honesty, because if you don't have cash, capital, collateral, or credit, you're screwed. So, you you know, to do those things. As we talked about it, like, you know, people are, and they're owed thousands and thousands of dollars from the unemployment insurance program. And when that comes, you know, if you're one of the lucky ones who were able to float yourself, what are you going to do with that note? What are you going to do? You're going to run out and spend it because turbulent times, you know, look, I'll tell you about financial people. Volatility is their friend, right? They make trades. It's up. It's down. Hey, Jesse, you're back. I see you. <laughs> he said, this is fun. I'm sticking around. Yeah, Jesse's tuning in. He wants some Luke, Luke Nowacki advice. Hey, Jesse. You're going to have him Jesse. read it? 
He's muted. He's just watching. 2486634748, yeah. Jesse, for financial advice. <laughs> Luke Nowacki, Pinnacle Wealth. All right. Um, do we have, I want you to listen to this next guest, Jesse, because uh, do we got him on, Mark? Yeah, I want to check uh, to make sure the voice, check one, two. Yeah, okay, we, yeah. we he should be there. This is John. He's an inspector for the nursing homes here in Michigan. He asked that his voice be changed and his name not given because I think you're seeing when you cross the government, your job's in jeopardy, you know, you, it, you, if you want to trust me, you can, if you think this is bullshit, so be it. I know John, I know John, the work he does, we've been out together. I've been in these nursing homes as we've done with the nurses, which proved to be true as we did with the sheriff's deputies, which proved to be true as we did with the cops, which proved to be true. Here's another red blooded, blue collar person who does the work. You don't get this anywhere. You get big bloated talking heads wearing suits. I want to bring you John because John knows what these nursing homes are like and what we are not doing. Does the strategy work that the government governor's offering? Cause it sounds great on paper, but is it really functional in real life? Do we got him, Mark? Yes. Yeah, I'm here. All right, listen, what are these nursing home and adult care facilities like in general? They're just housing for people just uh, until they can pass on. They're just money pits. And they put as many as they can in there, and they're just a money grab. They just, they, they feed them like crap, and they really don't take care of them. Unless you have a lot of money and you can go to a top-end place, you're just a number. And you've been around the, the, the edicts from the governor about COVID-19 wings. I mean, is, 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 is that true? Does it work like it does on paper? It's a separate building, separate staff, everything's scrubbed down. Is that what you see? No, that's a joke. These places are in it for the money. If they do anything, they put a piece of plastic up between rooms or they close the door. They don't have a different facility. And the same people who feed the food to the normal clients feed it to the COVID people. They don't have the money to read PPE every time they see somebody. That's absurd. These are the same 10 and $12 people who work in our neighborhoods. And um, in terms of what the governor wrote about separation, uh, and movement is the reality. Now you, you're you're in these places, looking into these people and the conditions. Is it with with the reality of, of of these facilities? What the governor wrote is that even actionable? I mean, is that a serious plan considering the reality? No, it's it's not possible. They send these people to the hospital. They're sick. They send them back. And everybody else is going to get sick there. They spread it. And then if they don't keep them at that nursing home, they send them to another nursing home where they get the people that sick there. They're cross-contaminating the whole system. And the numbers are a lot higher. Do we have an idea of how many deaths have actually occurred there? Or the, or the movement? Let me ask you this. Do we have a number of deaths? Yes or no? 
okay, no, we know that because the state said so themselves. Number two, is there a computer program? Is there a computer and a system where elderly patients, COVID specifically, are inputted in there and we can track their movements like some state bureaucrats, some statisticians, some social tracers, some investigator. Can you, is there a program that exists where I can follow grandma from nursing home to hospital to nursing home to hospital to nursing home? Does that exist? No, there's no, there's no kind of uh, database for that. These people come back and they put them back into the general population or they put them in their own room and close the door. And then when they get sick, they go back to the hospital. We've had people go back to the hospital two, three times. The fourth time they die. And we don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't register anywhere, does it? It's uh, up to the nursing home or the hospital to report it. Right, and that's where I'm wondering: Does the hospital have one set of desks, and the nursing home has another set? What about our system living? I agree. This is so. Listen, uh, John. What what should we do? You're an expert in this. What should we be doing with elderly people in long-term care who test positive? They need to be locked down in the facility with only COVID. The COVID Hall and the, and the place in Novi were great ideas, but nobody ever acted on them. You don't think we, we never use COVID them. positive. And I don't know why. Is it a money issue? Ask the governor. It, it doesn't make sense. That was a great idea because you can make sure everybody was healthy before they left there. These nursing homes are not equipped. They don't have doctors on staff. They hardly have nurses. They fail. They fail uh, um, epidemiological tests. You know, like before this, for can, can you contain a uh, spread of a virus? We know that. We know that. Uh, Michigan is second worst in the country for elder abuse in these places. We know that one of these hubs, if a nursing home can't handle a COVID patient, they go to a hub where everybody's supposedly a COVID patient. And one of the hubs, it was uh, in a federal report, one of the worst nursing homes in America. And we made that a hub? It, it's, I, I don't understand. There should be intelligent people in the state. They saw the plans in Washington State, how they locked down these nursing homes so nobody comes out, nobody comes in. And the worst thing is, these poor people who work there, they're taking it home to their families. That's why Detroit's burning up with deaths. These people don't get all, all the care. I'd like to know the stats on how many of them have died. You know, PPE is not even required to work with patients who are not positive are not known to be positive. It's they suggest it. How in the fucking world can that be? I, I don't know. I'm just I'm disappointed because these are some great people who live long lives and they deserve to live longer. Yeah, can I ask you because you know we we hear periodically about reports. Uh, whether it's not necessarily elder abuse, but just where the quality of care in some of the nursing homes in the metropolitan Detroit area aren't quite up to par. Give us a thumbnail of what the nursing home environment is like prior to COVID. I mean, because I'm already under the notion that it wasn't where it could or should be on a regular basis, and this just made it worse. A lot of people have needs. A lot of them are in wheelchairs. Uh, 
visited the hallway or, or they, they put them all into the same activity room and they just sit there. They wheel them all in to eat together and then if they don't want to get out of bed, if somebody says they don't want to take a bath or a shower, they never give them a bath or a shower. They don't take care of and the smell in some of these places are disgusting. I wouldn't put my dog in those places. Wow. And it should be pointed out that the industry's changed and many of these are, are, are for heavy profit owned by hedge funds and they're, and they're starved like the hospitals for profit and the money doesn't go to the care as it should. I agree. You sound bummed, dude. It, it, I've been doing this over four years. These are good people. They don't have anybody else. They don't have families. Their family is the government. The governor needs to take care of these people and they're dying. And she's not doing She didn't have... All these COBA hubs, have they been certified? Has somebody inspected them? I've never heard about it. How do we Has know somebody inspected them? If we're going to do this nonsense, then there should be rigorous inspections. There should be a required data collection. There should be help with equipment. I'm not buying some bullshit news story and a directive. And when I read these bullshit news stories, you're reading it off a press release put out by the government, which says we're going to augment and make our seniors safer. That's what it says on the press release. And it's not what it is in real life. And John, the inspector, this thing's coming back in the fall. Everybody knows that. And we got a chance right now to fix it. One chance. And I didn't see it. I'll give you the last word. No, I, I, I really believe it's in the governor's hands. There's a lot of knowledge out there. And she needs to eat her pride a little bit. And do the right thing for the people. Quit talking about people going to their second homes and going up north and spreading this. Talk about the elderly who are the target of this disease and represent them for once. Thank you, my brother. I will talk to you uh, later tonight. You did great. I'm sorry about the technical difficulties and all of you listening. I, I hope you rewind it. And if it was tough to listen to, hear it again. We, we had to do it that way because of, you know, Zoom, Facebook Live. Normally we could have cleaned that up, but I wanted you to hear it. Thanks, Johnny. We're hanging up on you. Thanks, John. They, everybody said they were able to hear Charlie. I mean, I'm Good. looking at the comments. So they, they were they said it was low, but they could hear. But this is the thing. Well, I what mean, are they thinking? What are the people well, typing in there? Are they pissed? They're saying that they that the money is there, that people are paid ten dollars an hour, so they're not really getting the quality of people there. There's no accountability, not only at the state level, the city level, but even at the facility level. Like if you are a manager or an owner of a facility, it's up to you to know what's going on in your facility and to dictate what's right and what's wrong. So this falls in the lap of everybody that has their hands in and on these facilities. These are fucking cattle pens. Yeah, and if you, you, you heard it, they're cattle pens. And when you think it sounds good to make this your strategy, right? Look, again, I said it last week. I'll say it next week. I'll say it till the day I die. You asked us all to sacrifice some of us is going to lead to our homes, our kids' educations, our businesses, anything that we saved, we did it. And we all knew when it was coming who it was going to attack. And this was the fucking response. I'm not partisan. I'm not looking to rip. 
I don't care who's wearing a mask and who's not, right? I don't care if you went up to your lake house because it's legal anyway. I don't want to argue the dumb shit. I want the government to do what it promised. I don't know why a dam burst. Remember, the state came into oversight of the dam in Midland three months before Whitmer took office. That's Whitmer's, right? I didn't say she did it. I didn't say she let it go to hell for 20 years. That was Engler. That was Granholm. That was Snyder. But when you take over the office, when you're doing a transition, as you know, Karen, you have a list, each department, bring me a list, the Department of uh, Environmental Quality. What's the stuff that, the old stuff, and what's the new problems, right? Mm -hmm. Did you do that? And what you want to address, what are the issues? That's part of what your transition team examines, comes back with recommendations. I mean, but Charlie, if you really think, I mean, and it's sad, it's just all sustainability. We continue to talk about the same things over the years because nobody ever does anything what they promise to do. They just don't. And we either forget about it, get distracted by something else, or we just kind of become callous. And then what happens? Nothing happens. This shit happens. No bullshit, by the way. Okay, look, what did we learn today? Kilpatrick very well may be getting out on a tether. There's no, no whiff of clemency or a pardon. We're not even sure he's getting out, but that's what sources tell you. You've heard it. Rewind and you'll, you'll get the news. That's how I would have reported it. I don't think I would have said he's granted clemency. Two, we know where Whitmer's orders came from. They came from New York. Cuomo, he has the ability and the chutzpah and the balls to change course when he realizes a mistake was made. We did not get that. And we realize that the money we pay for the state wards, right, don't go where they need to. Our response to this is garbage. And Attorney General Nessel, instead of like, you know, look, don't you extend the, uh, or rescind an invitation of the president of the United States. That's not what you're going to do. Let me tell you what the attorney general of the state of Pennsylvania did. He opened multiple criminal investigations into these nursing homes for their treatment of the elderly. They've got as big a pandemic inside that, uh, those places as we, I expect you to do the same since you opened the, you know, elderly abuse task force, do something. Please, for the sake of us all, let's see it. I don't hate. Send out voter applications. Yeah, I'm not, you know, just do something. But, uh, you know, don't worry, I got got the last grasp of the history. I'm the one that raised the book. From from (laughs) my vantage point, this isn't brain surgery. It's being serious about who you are, about your commitment. It's about accountability, communicating expectations, holding people accountable and doing what you're supposed to do. I think when we were talking about Como and Whitmer, the difference is, is that Como is not running for something. I mean, I hate to say it, but this whole thing every day feels like an audition from her and Duggan. It's no secret Duggan wants out of here if Biden wins. And it shows. I mean, it becomes, again, as we say, a controlling of the narrative. Everything is fine. We're handling this well. This is flawless. But at the same time, people are losing their lives and their homes and their livelihood as a result of the mishandling. That's the bottom line. And that's not personal. That's not an attack. That's the reality. 
And sadly, you got to come here for it. I'm sorry. I just, right, Mark? I mean, yeah. you, 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 you listen to the news. I don't see that. Nope. You not. can let Rachel Maddow do it. I don't expect, you know, when we're talking amongst ourselves in Michigan to get the big blow job. Yeah, well, everybody loves the veneer of leadership and what it looks like. It's just do the job you're in. Don't, don't look forward to the job you want. Do the job you're supposed well, to do. You know, I'm going to tell you from this side of, the, of, of that, too. When you schedule an interview, well, everything that everybody sees is packaged. Yep. This is, it's not organic. I mean, we know, you know, you know what they're going to be asked. You know what they can't ask. You know, it's just everything is packaged ex- except for here. Everything here is organic. But what you're seeing is all intentional. So it's all part of somebody else's larger plan. It's coordinated. It's agreed upon. Well, there's, it, there, it is. there's a reason Governor Whitmer would do, say, the Mitch Album show and would not come here. Oh, and, you know, which is great because actually what's happening if you really want to know what's going on underneath, you just give the program stature mm-hmm. because we just laid it out. I understand the law, the statistics, right? What's going on inside? You're not. No, this one is the hard questions. That's what you get. You get here and watch it play next week. Something big, something real big. You know what it is, Mr. Mayor. I've been making the calls. Big contract. Real smelly. Real smell. I want to let that incubate, but it's coming to a head. Uh, before we go, I want to dedicate this show, this broadcast, to my brother-in-law Pete Kuzniar, uh, who passed away last week. I loved him very much. He was Detroit through and through. He was born in Detroit, and he died in Detroit, and he lived the life in between. Never hurt anybody, and I'm sorry for biting a piece of your ear off, Pete. You're going to be missed, brother. And um, give, please give each other some room for your foibles and your demons and your fuck-ups as much as you give people praise for their victories and their kindnesses because we're all human. Try to love one another and... Uh, Condolences, Charlie, to you and your family. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, I want to leave you with this song because Pete, Gangster Pete, Detroit Pete, West Side Pete could kill this shit at karaoke. Talk to you all next week. Love you. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. Cause I've been blasting and laughing so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. But I ain't never crossed a man that didn't deserve it. Me be treated like a punk, you know that's unheard of. You better watch how you're talking and where you're walking. Or you and your homies might be lying in chalk. I really hate the trip, but I gotta low. As they croak, I see myself in the pistol smoke, fool. I'm the kind of cheater little homies want to be like on my knees in the night, saying prayers in the street light. I've been spending most of my The situation they got me facing I can't live a normal life I was raised by the state So I gotta be damn with the hood team 
too much television watching, got me chasing dreams. I'm an educated fool with money on my mind. Got my tin in my hand and a gleam in my eye. I'm a low-out gangster, set tripping banker. And my homies is down, so don't arouse my anger. Fool, death ain't nothing but a heartbeat away. I'm living life, do or die. What can I say? I'm 23, never will I live to see 24 the way things are going. I don't know. Tell me why are we so blind to see that the ones we hurt are you and me? And the money, money and the power Minute after minute, hour after hour Everybody's running, but half of them ain't looking What's going on in the kitchen, but I don't know what's cooking They say I got to learn, but nobody's here to teach me If they can't understand it, how can they reach me? I guess they can't, I guess they won't, I guess they front That's why I know my life is out of luck, fool I'm living in the 